In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by indie, creative, educated entrepreneur, Joey Stuckey. Uh, Joey is just a great guy, man. Uh, well, Joey's actually a blind person, and he is really breaking down barriers, carving, has carved his own path as an industry professional. Uh, wears several hats in the industry as well as what he does. You know, we talk about the importance of diversification and that he shares that even though he's visually impaired, um, he has a very active mind and an active imagination. Uh, we talk about the fact that technology moves so quickly and by the time you get to hang on one thing, the next thing uh, shows up and the thing you just got the hang of it can become obsolete. Uh, we talk about the fact that you know um, how record companies are no longer signing artists which is something I talk about quite often during these episodes and how they're really only interested in signing influencers you know uh, Joey shares that in his opinion record labels have really never been interested in signing artists but really just kind of using them for their own gain and then kind of letting them be um, that's why he shares that it's important to prioritize if you're a creative to prioritize your mental health first. Joe shares that he has no problem with record companies getting a piece of the revenue they generate, uh, especially within the 360, if they're actually playing a part in making the product and helping to bring the product to the marketplace. Uh, we talk about, again, artists being able to put a value on their artistry um, and prioritizing their artistry and being comfortable with understanding they must be okay with being able to sell and monetize what they put their blood, sweat, and tears into. Because at the end of the day, the bills have to be paid at the end, so to say. Um, we talk, Joey talks about how he spends really 50% of his time handling the business and that indie creators must prioritize the business aspect or their careers just will never really take off. Um, I share that when I decide to work with an artist, I really lead and make a conscious point to start with education. Um, we talk about Joey's story and and how he was, you know, what made him blind and that, you know, it was caused from a brain tumor and that he really doesn't have memory of having. He really thanks his parents for being advocates to make sure that he had the best possible chance to live and and, and be able to, you know, achieve some things, you know, and his parents decided to, for him to have the surgery to, you know, remove the brain tumor. Uh, it was really dangerous, but he could have, act. the only options were for him to either have the surgery and live or not have the surgery and die. You know, we talk about the fact that, you know, his parents really made sure that, you know, he was able to, you know, communicate, and he talks about being able to live the most balanced life possible by embracing the good and the bad times. And we talk about the fact that, you know, most people have common ground. We have common ground with most with, with each other in life. Uh, it's really, and that's really important that should be focused on. He shares that he doesn't mind making jokes about himself because, you know, being blind is a bad thing. And he doesn't want people to feel like they have to walk around on eggshells to 
in, in, in being worried or, or not to offend him, so to say. Uh, we talk about the importance of being able to have a conversation about living with special needs and, and those who, who really may not understand what that's like so we can create opportunities for inclusion and change. Uh, we end the episode talking about his work as an educator as well as the fact of how the misconception of how college degrees really um, is really not about the college degree, but more about the experiences that college affords you to Welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire Podcast. This is episode number 39. And I've got a very special guest today. Uh, another one great person, Joey Stuckey, uh, is with me today. Joey, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to be with you. Doing cool. cool. Uh, what I love about Joey is that him and I had something in common, the fact that we're both within the special needs, disabled community, whatever you want to call it. And this is just awesome because, you know, Joey, the premise of why I started this podcast was to cover three things. It was initially to cover disability awareness because obviously I have cerebral palsy. Number two right. was supposed to be about music business topics. Then the third part is was supposed third, third silo, silo of it was people's stories are encouraged and inspiring. So you actually check all three of the boxes. <laughs> you know, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, you know, and, and so it's really and I've really been enjoying as of late is interviewing people. It's kind of initially when I started the pod, I thought it was going to be more of me talking and just me kind of providing insight to independent artists, you know, but it's really kind of morphed into a lot of great interview sessions. And I'm, I'm glad it's morphed into that. And so, and it's nice. You know, I usually, even when I'm talking to other people, I try to find pockets where I can teach and share knowledge and, Hopefully help the people. You know, my my podcast is a new podcast. You know, shout out to I uh, got what you need podcast network, which is the, who, who houses my podcast. And so, but it's just been really great, man. The people who who I've had a chance to talk with, uh, some have had some really great accomplishments in the industry, as well as some as of late some new artists, some independent artists who are just really on on their come up. So it's been great, man. It's really been great, and I'm just glad to have you here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, that's, that's the great thing is uh, when you have people that are able to have a good conversation, uh, you know, the interviewer is able to bring out things in your story. You're able to bring out things in the interviewer. I love that. I think that's very cool. That's awesome, man. So, um, like I said, so you're award-winning. You're a blind guitarist, songwriter, singer, composer, producer, radio, television personality, <laughs> music, column. Man, you touched a lot of things. And an educator and a sound engineer. Yeah. As well as the official music ambassador for your hometown of Macon, Georgia. Yeah, that is. I, I like to be busy. <laughs> yeah, that is quite a lot of things, you know, um, to really do. And you, you, you know, we were talking before we started recording about yeah. diversifying yourself in this space, you know, and you're definitely the epitome of that, uh, especially with all the different hats you've you've worn over the. Yeah, over I mean, the it, it, it's it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I found, I, I think. I'm all about using what you got. Um, I think one should be self-aware and there's always, 
room for improvement, but I don't think you should try to be anything you're not. Uh, so, you know, that's real important to me being comfortable in who you are. And part of my nature is sort of a restless nature. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that I have a very active mind. Um, I have a very active imagination. I have an active spirit. And I really like to be doing things and feel like I'm making, you know, making a difference, feel like I'm accomplishing things. And that doesn't mean that uh, you shouldn't give yourself a little grace or that you, you should have some weird timetable of I've got to do this by this age or whatever, because if you do that, you're going to be miserable. But I, yeah. I do like to, you know, be actively engaged in things. And, and you know, I kind of, I really identify, I know everybody on the planet has either heard or seen the musical Hamilton if you can afford tickets, which is, <laughs> I, I, had, I saw it in Chicago, but I couldn't afford to see it on Broadway. Um, Understand, yeah. Understandable. <laughs> $800 for a ticket. I mean, I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying I couldn't pay. Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, there's there's a great quote, you know, from Hamilton. It's just, there's a million things I haven't done, but just you wait. And I, I really identify with that. And there's, there's another great line that they, they ask Hamilton, why are you writing like you're running out of time? And, you know, we do have a finite existence on, on this earth. And uh, at the end of the day, I want to be able to look back and say, well, you know, I've, I've done, I know that I'll never accomplish everything that I want because the, the list is long and varied. But uh, I do want to be able to look back and go, you know, I, I did some good work and uh, made it a little bit better place than, than the way I found it. I want, to, I want to leave it a little better than I found it. So those are kind of the goals in it. The other thing, of course, as you and I were talking before we started recording, was that, um, and I don't know if there ever was a golden age uh, of, of anything, mm -hmm. but uh, it certainly, what you know, sort of the conventional wisdom is, um, you know, you can make a living just being a guitar player or just being a singer. Certainly there are people that have done that. Uh, you look at Chet Atkins or Tony Bennett or, you know, some of these greats that yeah. you know, Frank Sinatra, Elvis. And that was a different um, time. You know, that was, yeah, that, was, was that, was, that was a different time. It was um, a different time. And, and now, if you want to be, if you want to be in the entertainment business or the music business or whatever you want to call it, I mean, diversification is a very important part. You got to, you got to know how to do a lot of different things. And, I don't know how many people, I'm a real nerd at heart and proudly, proudly say that. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact is technology is outpacing, uh, you know, uh, the human mental capacity. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we've got this amazing tool, uh, social media, where everything we do is recorded and broadcast. And that's yeah. really great in a lot of ways. But there are a lot of ethical and business ramifications that haven't fully been explored. And there's this thing called Moore's Law, which I'm going to, abbreviate it but basically what it says is you know every 18 months computing power and technology sort of doubles so that eventually yeah. <laughs> the theory is that by the time you buy a new computer in a store the next day it'll be obsolete uh, we haven't hit that you know we haven't hit that point but we're getting close and so you've got to know a lot about this technology so that you can participate so you got to wear a lot oh it's so true i mean i think you know that's the thing with social. That's the thing I say with the internet. Social media moves so quick, and oh like you know, right now TikTok is the wave. It is. Right? I just and, I just joined. <laughs> I'm, not, you know, I'm, I'm not a TikTok. I'm really not a TikTok guy, um, and I don't even try. Yeah. To, you know what I mean? I've heard, I know the places I stay in is Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You know, TikTok for mm -hmm. me. And I've learned yeah, to. Yeah. I try to teach my. I try to teach the people I work with that you don't have to join every hot wave if it's not. Who you, if it's no, not, you don't. If it's not where your audience is, hold on. Can yeah. you hear me? I can. Hold on. Hold on one second.
Sorry about that, guys. Have a little technical difficulties, and we'll keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, so what I was saying about, you know, me, I tell my artists and clients that I work with that you don't have to chase every new wave. Uh, no. Figure out what works for you, because TikTok, is, what's happening is that, especially with the record companies, is that now what is different, they're chasing, they're, they're, they're signing influencers. We're talking about major labels. They're signing influencers yeah. now. So they're not necessarily even signing, they're not even interested in signing artists anymore. They have they have moved away from signing artists. They don't really care about the artistry. They care yeah, more. Artist development is a thing of the past. Right. I mean, they don't, yeah, they, they don't, don't care. It. The labels have, are proving that they don't give a shit about your artistry. They would much rather you. And, and, yeah, go ahead. And, and you know, it's just like, I, I don't know if they ever have. I mean, I think. I think that one of the things that I advocate for is health because I'm a, I'm a brain tumor survivor. Um, gotcha. And that's the reason I'm blind. And that left me with a couple other um, challenges as well. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I have a metal shoulder. I got a metal hip. Um, you know, I had some, some necrosis that happened because of the brain tumor in my bones. And, uh, wow. I also don't have an endocrine system. So uh, a lot of, lot of weird things that I have to cope with on a daily basis. But the point is that, um, you know, the, the labels have always been, and, and this I understand to a point, they've always been about making money. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. But what what's the problem is they don't, I have always felt like that labels in general feel, and this is not all of them, so it's unfair to put them all in the same bucket, but um, there are exceptions, obviously, but a lot of them do not care if they use up the artist, they'll just get another one. Yeah, and you know, and, and that's that's the thing. So I mean, so I mean, you know, you have to protect your time. Mm-hmm. You have to protect your mental, your mental health, your physical oh health. Because mm-hmm. man, once it's gone, it's gone. And you know, this is why people like. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying the labels are directly blamed for this, but I'm saying this mentality has pervaded the music business. If you look at Elvis, mm-hmm. the reason Elvis is dead uh, is because he was touring and performing and doing movies and doing interviews and all this stuff and living the rock and roll lifestyle and mm-hmm. he had to take pills so he could go to sleep he had to take pills so he could wake up yeah. um and, and yeah. that's the kind of rat race that you'll get trapped in and as i say at the end of the day people that are making money off you um really don't there's so many people out there with talent they really don't care if they use you up on another one now you know you look at you look at um you just there, there's so many artists i mean you i, I think i'm trying to remember now i think if i'm not mistaken uh megan trainer and adele both had to cancel some dates you know six seven years ago from exhaustion because right. they were on tour and they were keeping an unreasonable schedule one thing i'll say about madonna uh madonna always starts her concerts late and a lot of people give her flack about that and i understand that you come at nine o'clock you want the show to start at least nine fifteen, yeah. and sometimes it wouldn't start at 10 30 or something like that the fact is she followed her own schedule, did what was right for her. And I'm not saying you should start to show that late because I would never do that. But I'm saying I would rather have that. I would rather have that, her doing what's good for her health, than her, you know, burning herself out. And, and that's just, you got to be careful. Um, oh, no. And that's another problem with diversifying. Yeah. Bro, you, you're exactly right. You're exactly- oh, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. So, so that's another problem with diversification, like what you were saying so eloquently was that. You know, if you're trying to chase the waves, uh, you, you're going to always be behind. And exactly. I I have joined TikTok uh, myself, even though as a blind guy, I don't really care about videos. 
but, uh, but, uh, but, but, but I mean, you know, people do, and, and I have some videos that are fairly compelling that are very short. Um, I've been on TikTok about a month now, and I've got one of my videos that's about 26,000 views, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's a 24 second video and it, it's just, it's absolutely stupid. Um, but, but, you know, and it was fascinating, um, because I've studied this, you know, media and how media affects the industry. Um, and I talk about it a lot and, and what's really fascinating is that the more elaborate the production and the longer the video, usually the less engagement it gets because people have the attention span of a goldfish. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and so, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And so I, I try to keep, I've got some videos that are, you know, a minute and a half, something like that. But man, I try to keep them about 30 seconds because those really work. But this, you know, this video, uh, that same video has about 180,000 views on, on YouTube, uh, but it took three or four years to get there. And, you know, but, so you just have to, but you're right. I mean, what you have to do is figure out what medium connects for you. Exactly. And what medium is a natural part of your your extension, your spirit, as a natural part of your brand, you have to figure out: Are you going to spend some time there anyway? Like you yeah. don't want to you don't want to start working like losing you know twelve hours a week working social media. You know if you're going to be there anyway and engage in that audience and do that, that's a much more genuine experience for your fans than trying to come up with some you know PR post. Well, I totally agree. Yeah, you totally agree, man. I mean. You have to, it's, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It, it's it's hard not to feel trapped. Like, oh god, I shouldn't be on Facebook, or I should be, you know. <laughs> oh no, hard. definitely because nowadays, that's why I said today's generation of of of, I call them creative, but today's generation, of, I don't use the term recording artist for this era because it just doesn't exist today. You're like, right. You're, it's you're so a, much more than that now. You're a content creator with a focus on music. Exactly. That, that's yeah. where it's changed. So that's brilliant. Yeah. People who use the term recording, it just doesn't exist. It's just not like like Prince, Madonna, like you said, Whitney Houston, Patti LaBelle. Yeah, they oh don't gosh. care about content. They mm. care about the record. You know. Yeah. I'm not saying the record that the record should matter. I'm not saying, but they didn't have to worry about a content strategy. Artists today, you put out whatever you put out, you better have a content strategy behind it. Absolutely. And that's just and, what that just wasn't the case with the Beatles and these iconic acts, but they didn't have to worry about that. Can we go in the studio and make a great record? And the label, yeah. the label would do everything else. But now record right. labels, record labels finish the game. They don't start it. You know? Yeah, and you know, the what's the thing that's disturbing about that, again, I, I don't you know, I don't mind paying for services rendered. I don't I don't mind giving you a cut of the money I make. If you're bringing to the table, one of the things that bothers me though is this 360 deal that's become so prevalent mm-hmm. in the music business, where the labels want part of your merch, they want part of your touring. And mm-hmm. my question to that is, well, did you help finance the merch? Did you help? Yeah. Did you help book the tour? If you help book the tour, I don't mind giving you a cut. If you didn't, I'm not. I don't feel comfortable giving you that kind of. I don't. I'm not going to give you a cut for nothing. So, so yeah. you know, I don't. I don't mind paying whoever. You know, I don't mind paying the booking agent. I don't mind paying. You know, a publicist. I don't mind paying a radio programmer. I'm glad to pay those people, but they got to do a job. Exactly. And you know, exactly. so that's one. Of the, that's one of the problems that we face right now. And speaking of the most, most recent example, the time of this recording, um, Summer Walker, who's a new artist. I don't know if you, yeah. This has been out just recently. You may have heard about it, but her, she signed to a company called LVRN Love Renaissance, and mm-hmm. based out of Atlanta, and 
her record deal, the, the deal, the deal points in her deal was leaked. So we don't know if this is accurate, but according to New York Times or one of the magazines. So apparently she took she took an eighty seven thousand dollar advance. Mm-hmm. OK, she's making 16 cents on the dollar after yeah. everything is recouped. Yeah. And she gave away her masters and they want 15 percent of non musical income. Mm. And I'm like, that I mean, is, that's, you know, that's nuts. Well, the, the, I would love to know more about that because yeah. the, um, you know, I studied this when I was at Berkeley at, at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've done studies with them. Uh, I'm working slowly toward a master's degree in gotcha. music business, but I've, I've gotten sidetracked a couple times. But anyway, gotcha. uh, stupid shoulder surgery. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the thing is, I mean, 16 points is about standard for, uh, yeah. A new artist, um, you know, and, and and but again, my my objection and and the problem is there's so many people that get a cut of of the, the money. So 16 points from the record deal is not uh, unexpected. It's not fair, but it's not unexpected. Right. The the uh, the other thing, the thing that concerns me more um, is cross collateralization. Yes. Um, where your second record pays for your first because they know they're going to lose money on the first record, and and, and so now. Yeah. You know, and then your second record pays you, the third record pays you, the second, you know, your five records in and haven't made any money. And yeah. there's lots of people like Johnny uh, Crows and people like that have found out about that to their detriment. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that $90,000 will round it up. I don't know if that's really necessary to make a good record. I don't, I don't know if that money, right. it probably would have been better for her to have, have a smaller, a smaller advance. Uh, you know, again, you'd have to see the details of the deal to know. Yeah, nobody knows. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You could probably it'd probably be better to have a smaller advance these days. I'd be very careful about those. But I'm I'm definitely against getting money for things you don't bring something to the table for. And if I if I produce your record, uh, you know, I should be paid for that. But yeah. I should not have the right to get twenty percent of your t-shirt sales. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah. It just doesn't. Matter. I didn't have anything to do with those t-shirts. Why yeah, did I get made? Why exactly. would I get paid for that? And it just shows you how much because there was a time in the industry where the labels only cared about getting the record the money they made off the recordings, right? They were in the recording music business, right? Yeah, they, exactly. They, then you went on you went on the tour because everything was everything after the was about like we're going to go on tour to support yeah, the record. Exactly. Right. And then after that, the miscellaneous income, which is your merchandise, and back then they talk about lunch boxes and sure balls and all the stuff like you know, and that was money that that the labels really didn't partake in, you know? But, yeah. But now because of the 360 deal and the way we, it's like they're essentially acting as a manager as mm-hmm. well as a label, which is like, which is in case, which is in some Walker situation, how you can't be the label and the manager at the same time. Well, there's a conflict of interest. Yeah. And, 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 and the other problem that really bothers me is when the label has a piece of the publisher. Because there's a potential conflict of interest there, and we've seen case studies when this has happened, where you know the label gives the, the publishing company that's controlled by the label gives a label a discount on the publishing royalties, um, and and so they're they're basically double dipping, yeah. uh, and, and you know that's that's a terrible conflict of interest, um, and so you know in, in today's market, the, the chance of me being the next Adele and selling out Wembley Stadium and having a ninety-six million dollar advance record, you know, record advance, um, is uh, you know astronomical. Not to say it couldn't happen, but it's highly unlikely. 
Right. The good news, though, is that it doesn't have to. If you want to be on the world stage like that, and I think there's a thing, there are things to recommend that and, and things to discourage that. I mean, there's, there's yeah, a price. Definitely, there's definitely. a price to pay. No, for you sure. Know? For sure. <laughs> but yeah. if you, you, you can have a, a valued career uh, and, and one that makes a good living, you know, being an artist and being poor do not have to be synonymous. And uh, you can have a good career, career, you know, on your own and you build a team around you. And mm-hmm. that's the one thing that I do like about social media. But I guess we should, to be balanced, we should say the positive. Yes, the positive yes, is, yes, yes. You know, we, the positive is you can direct market to your fans. You can yeah. find out what it is they want to buy from you and, yeah. and, and provide that. And if yeah. you do, you have a really good chance of, of making your money off it. So, you know, we, we, we talk about, I mean, you know, I think it's fantastic that I was able to ask my fans, hey, we're doing a record. Do you guys want final? Uh, yeah. Or do you care? Do you not? Or do you, or, you know, do you care about that? Yeah. You know, we were able to make that decision. So the, the decision ended up being we, we did a limited run of vinyl for the 2019 record that I put out in Shadow of the Sun. And we did a limited run of that with vinyl. Mm-hmm. We took we took a very small box on tour with us. We were touring through, through Georgia and, and uh, Washington, D.C. and New York, and New Jersey and, and L.A. and Detroit and all these different you know places. And um, in Connecticut and just all these different places, and um, we actually, believe it or not, sold a really good amount of vinyl. But the thing that people have to realize, it makes me sad to be honest, because I'm a recording engineer producer, so I I love the record. I think of the record, or I'm old, so I say record. Right? If you want to say <laughs> album, you know, yeah, that's uh, cool. That's cool. I I love that. I think it's the most important thing you can do, and I think it should be this sacred thing that happens. Uh, this 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 true piece of your soul that you bring into the world is, is your record and it's you know to me it's like the holy grail you know it's this 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 magical thing but um but record sales not just cd sales but actual digital downloads all that stuff is down and mm-hmm. if you think you're going to make a lot of money off selling records sadly and it's it's disappointing it's it, it breaks my heart but it just isn't going to happen uh, so, so what you have to do, uh, if you are able, you, you have to find a way to make income. Um, and so sometimes that's a podcast or sometimes that's a Patreon page or sometimes that's creating other products that go along with the music where you have what's called psychographics, which are uh, places where your brand intersects with other brands. So if your fans are big coffee drinkers, you might produce coffee mugs to go along with your CDs. I'm not saying you don't have to have an album, but you do. But anyway, what I found was people will buy, most people are going to listen to you on streaming platforms because because we as humans, sadly, and I know better, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm not saying I'm not guilty. We are lazy and yeah. we'll go to the path of least resistance. So how easy is it for me to say, hey, Alexa, play music by my favorite artist and I just sit on my butt and don't have to move. Um, yeah. I'm guilty of it. But you know, the artists get two cents of a penny for that spin, which is ludicrous. Right, um, right, right. Even with the millions... You know, even with a million streams, you're not making good money on that. And yes. so, yeah. uh, but but they will buy vinyl, they will mm-hmm. buy uh, CDs, they will buy T-shirts, they will mm-hmm. buy high definition, you know, 96K uh, Hi-Fi Blu-rays. If you are able to tour, and they will buy those things, not because that's where they're going to hear the music, because they're going to listen on streaming, mm-hmm. but because it's a souvenir of the time they spent. With oh my so, gosh, Joey, you, know, you are speaking my language. Yeah, that, I mean, this is, this is it. That's what and then I you sign it for long, you take pictures with them. You know, these people are the reason you have a career level. This is why I speak about super fans. 
Yes. Out of what I teach, it's called a genesis of superfan building. And it's just that. It. And we talk about that just because, like you said, it, it's no longer about having a wide volume of people anymore. It's yeah. about having a smaller, concentrated audience of community that you're going to that you're going to super serve them right but in order to super serve them you have to know a couple of things first so yes. kind of what i teach is first thing we start with is who are you as an artist yes why should somebody give a shit right 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 what's the and it seems like an easy question but, it but it's really not crazy. trust me it's yeah, not it's tough and i go through i do this exercise with every client that i and i have a and they all say they've never done this stuff before because all yeah. the a lot of these gurus on instagram and they'll tell you Oh, you, oh man, just run ads. Just create no. content. Run ads. <laughs> just make sure if you just put it in front of people every day, you run ads and you run ads and you run ads, you'll get a fan. I said, no, that's that's only for scale. Exactly. When you're not most of these artists today aren't even ready for scale yet. So you're telling them that they need to run ads, but they haven't established the foundational pieces first. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I've taken a that's why I go and look the diff the opposite approach and say, look. Let's talk about who you are as an artist. After that, now we talk about your brand position, your brand position statement. There's three peak, there's three elements of that. That's the community that you want to serve, right? Who you are, what yeah. you bring to and why should somebody care? Yeah, totally. About that, then we talk about the buyer fan persona, right? So it's like now you got to figure out who is your audience, what do they look like, right? The psychographic and demographics. Yeah, right? totally. And you know, and we go through that process because that's then after we talk about that, then we can go talk about starting to create content. Most people, most artists who don't like social media is because they don't know who they're talking to. That's so true. Right? That's that what so I've true. realized. So it's because I, I actually really like social media because it gives you the opportunity to promote whatever it is that you want to promote. Yeah. Nobody's telling you or nobody's on your social channels telling you you have to put this or. And, you know, the, the thing that's so cool about it when you do it right is that an organic post that you create where you're creating a conversation uh -huh. um, and, and, and you're creating this organic post, you know, rather than saying buy my record, you know, whatever, right. when you create this organic post that, that people wanna, wanna jump into that conversation, they will repost that for you without you having to prompt. You know, I also believe, so I think creating organic, it really is making community, but creating that organic conversation is real important because it, keeps people, you get people engaged and interested in what you're doing. But I also think uh, the other thing is important. A lot of artists don't feel comfortable doing this. Ask your fans for help when you need it. I mean, the other day right. I said, hey, I've got this new, I got this new single out. And if you find the music of value, I would really appreciate you reposting it and sharing it with your friends. And, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times people will read something, they'll do a quick like, or they'll do a quick comment, but they don't, they don't necessarily repost it. Mm -hmm. and, and and so you're missing out on that opportunity. You know, it's it's a lot of a lot of these people that are your fans really want to participate in your success. And so you know, you do need to. I wouldn't ask them for favors all the time, but when you have a clear call to action, a clear goal that you want to to do something, I just you know, I just thought, well, look, if I don't ask, I feel like if I don't ask for it, I know I'm not going to get it. If I ask for it, I at least have a chance. So you know, I I feel like that generally speaking that. You know, you you have to you have to you have to be prepared to try and fail, because if you at least try, you got a chance of success. If you don't, you know the answer is no. And 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 that's that's the way I've always run. And you know, sometimes people tell me no, 
they shouldn't, but they do. And, and so sometimes they tell me, no, and that's okay. But I'd say probably 70% of the time I get what I ask for, uh, especially if I take time to ask for it in the correct manner. So that's, yeah. that's super important. But I love, I love the, the community building is, you know, a big part of how, how we have to engage now. And it, it, you know, getting back to the records, I mean, I, I wish it was all about the music, um, but, you know, it just, it just isn't. Um, and, and, and fast, interestingly, a lot of people say, oh, music is so disposable. Um, the fact is that music permeates everything that we experience, especially this multimedia world that we live in. So music is an is a absolute critical component. But the problem is the music's not disposable. The problem mm -hmm. is artists aren't fairly being compensated. That's what the problem that's, is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the problem. It's, it's that it's and, and it's it's also and. This is understandable to a point. There's so many people that have access to the opportunity now that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about sync placement where you're placing music and TV and film. There's right. so many people doing it. Um, right. And so many people willing to do it for next to nothing uh, because, because they're just trying to get a leg in the door, which again, that's understandable at first. I, you know, when you first start out, take, you know, take whatever option you can build a track record, build a bio, build, build a fan base, all that stuff's fine. But at some point you have to start valuing your music and say, you know, I can't live on this. You, got, you know, I've got to have X. And, uh, but, but a lot of times what will happen is, is the label or the, or the publisher or who, who, who you're talking to will say, well, I got another song that's not as good, but I can get it for cheap. So I'll just use that. Um, that, that happens. I think that's something you have to kind of guard against. At some point you have to know when it's time to value what you're doing and, and just be honest and say, boy, I'd love to help you out. Uh, but my mortgage is, is, you know, has to be paid. <laughs> That's the thing that I hate. Like, you know, everybody says to me, uh, because I own a recording studio, I own a commercial recording studio, you know, it's got a million dollars worth of stuff. And I've been building for 20 years. And uh, everybody's like, oh, can I record for free? Well, it, were I, you know, uh, Bill Gates and, and uh, you know, or, or, some Jeff Bezos or somebody where I had you know billions of dollars of disposable income, I'd be glad to report people free. Unfortunately, I'm not able to do that. Right. And, and it kind of it kind of irks me. I understand asking the questions from a place of ignorance. So if you don't understand how music, how money is made in the entertainment business, I'll give you that. I'll give you that question the first time. Uh, but but the second time, you know, I start to feel a little irked because people wouldn't go to the gas station and take gas for free. They wouldn't go to the grocery store and expect to walk out with a steak and not pay for it. And yeah. uh, steak is much more disposable than music. In my opinion, I mean, you know, the steak's not going to stay in your body forever, <laughs> or unless something's horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, but I think I think what I'm saying is in a, in a weird roundabout way is that you know artists have to learn to value the commodity they're making because if we don't value it and we don't insist on placing a value on it, nobody else will. No, it's so true, and I think a lot of them really, you know, one what I've also learned too is that artists are afraid to sell they're afraid to be they're afraid to this again we don't have time to get into the whole you know funnel and value chain we'll be here for hours sure. talking about that but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and I, just, I mean and for for me that stuff is fun talk about for most creative one the number one thing is their brains don't think like that Very it, few, you know it but, would be nice it would be nice with it just to have to think about the art yeah you know that that's the dream so i got in the music business for self-expression most people uh, do, I, and most people. But I spend, yeah. you know, I spend fifty percent of my time handling the business, 
And, yeah. and that is, it's, it's a shame in a way. Um, but the fact is, if you don't treat your creativity as a business, that's the one guarantee. If, if you follow that path, that's the one guarantee that you will not make it. I mean, yeah. every, everything else is like, maybe you'll be the next Adele. Maybe you'll be the next Michael Jackson. Maybe you'll be the next Kanye. Maybe, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and, and I mean, and I, I don't think you should, I, I think you should be grounded in reason, but I don't mm-hmm. think you should ever say, I'll never be a big star. I don't, you might. Um, it's highly unlikely, <laughs> right. but you might. I mean, it's kind of like the Red Sox said back in 2004 when they had or won a World Series for a long time. Their yeah. slogan was, why not us, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I'm all about dreaming big. I'm not saying you shouldn't dream big. But if you don't treat the music business like a business, then you will for sure not make it. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I don't, again, it seems as if back in the 50s and stuff, there was, it was a different time and, and, and artists you know, had, had more of a support network. There was more what, what, we, what we call artist development, you know, where they were helping to, like when you look at Motown, I mean, Motown had a brilliant uh, system of artist development. Absolutely brilliant. Barry Gordy, Barry Gordy was smart. He knew what he was oh. doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he, his, his, his idea, he was working in an assembly line, um, yeah. uh, making cars. And he thought, you know, the music business should be like this. I should be able to send people that have talent, have a natural aptitude this through a process. Yeah. And on the other side, have someone that could be a star. Yeah. And, and it happened. Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross, I mean, I, I could go on and on. But yeah. the, the fact is they went through etiquette training. Yeah. They went through some dance classes. They had to learn to play a musical instrument. They did some music theory. Yeah. And they didn't have to become experts overnight, but they had to have a good, well-rounded, you know, presentation. I think that's. I wish we just did. I wish more people did it. But that's back when artists development and the artists were were valued. Not certainly not to say the artists weren't taking advantage of back in the day, because I'm sure they were. Yeah. But there was there was a much more of a, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, incubator system. Right. And it was curated. Yeah. You could curate. Uh, the, the, you could curate music a lot more. The, the the issue with that is today is that. Anybody can make anybody can put a record out. Yeah, they can. And you yeah. know, some are some are better than others. But but you know, the fact is if you don't the fact is if if, if the majority of the music you are exposed to um through whatever channel uh, is adequate or decent mm-hmm. and you haven't developed the real palette to know, well gosh, this is good, but boy, so and so is so much better. Of course that's kind of subjective, but Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I mean, you know, it, there is, there is the biggest thing I think that really encapsulates the portion of the conversation we've had so far is that, um, the fact is you have to find a way outside the music to rise above the norms because, because for good and for, for bad, the, the access to distribution channels are wide open. And there's a lot of wonderful things about that. And there's some negative things about that. So <laughs> exactly. it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a mixed bag, but you know, and that's, yeah, I'm I'm so I'm so passionate as you are. We talked about before we started doing the podcast about, about education and and you know learning learning your craft and spend, dedicating yourself time on that. And and I'm also very passionate about access and, and making sure that everybody has a chance to at least thrive. You know, that's that's important stuff. Right. And I just I was really feeling, you know, I feel like um, the more I had someone tell me, I, I've always had, I've always been taught, and I was teaching a summer camp once, and um, I was trying to teach the kids some basics of songwriting, and, you know, how to, how to organize your thoughts, and one of the kids said that they didn't want to be educated 
because they thought that would uh, cramp their style or, or take their style away. <laughs> and I was so offended by that. Uh, I just, I said, here's the problem. You can't have a style because you have no idea of the choices available to you. So if you play the most popular chords for a guitar player, uh, and really for piano players too, uh, you play G, C, and D, uh, and that's all you play. There are bands like Ramones, Bob Dylan, and many, many, many other people that have made lots of money on those three chords. Uh, ain't nothing wrong with using those three chords. But to say that your limitation, that your ignorance, in, in effect, is your style is ludicrous. So if I know all the possible chord choices and voicings and harmonies and rhythms, and I choose to play those three chords, now you have a style because that was conscious thought that went into my choice. So Absolutely. I'm all about choice, but but you have to know what the choices are before you can be said to have a style. So I just, no. I hate this idea that somehow education takes the magic away. I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a situation similar to that where I had a lady who wanted to work with me and she ordered the manager and I said, no, you can hire me as a consultant. And she said, I don't really, I'm not interested in managing a bunch of talent. I do manage artists, but for me, artist managers like family. It's the only way I do it. So, Absolutely. So with her, she, she hired me. So, so when I work with an artist, I always start with education first. Yeah. Because like you said, that's what really matters. So we had three sessions. Each session she would come to, she would come late at night. We'd have her sessions at night, which is not a problem with me. And yeah. she would be laying down in the bed while I'm trying to, <laughs> while I'm trying to have these sessions. So that's we did, right. So we did three of them. And though she comes to me and she says, after the third session, she says, well, you know, Durant, you know, I did sign up to, go to college and class and webinars and master classes. I need product. I need product. So, you know, but, you know, I said, okay, well, that really wasn't part of our agreement, but okay, you need product. So what she wanted was she did not want a beat maker. Cause you know, especially in, in, in urban music, you yeah. have beat makers. And see only in hip hop and, and sometimes in R and B do we call yeah. it producer. Someone who just makes the beat. Exactly. Yeah. And the producer is much, much more than that. Yeah. Right. So I called up a, a real producer who has real industry credits. And, and basically, I told her, hey, to work with him, it's going to cost about $4,000 a song. Sure. Because you have, you know, and, and times you wanted three songs, you wanted her three songs redone. That's 12 grand. I, she yeah. bought. She bought through a fit. She said, "Oh my God, twelve thousand dollars! This and this and this. And this. That's some people's yearly salaries." And I said, "Well, what you what you fail to realize is that's about one hundred and fifty to one hundred eighty hours worth of work." Oh, easy. So, um, probably maybe more than that, depending on the level you're at. So, yeah. when you factor it in, that's just about the right cost to cost. And uh, that was that's totally reasonable. And, yeah. and you know, the, the other problem with that is, and, and that people don't realize. I talk to people about this all the time. They think that once they make something, um, you know, uh, they can just walk in, make something, and, and you know, spend a hundred bucks, and then make millions of dollars. Off. And, and you know, that's sad. That, that yeah. that's why the, that's why the education is so important because yeah. the problem is that um, yes, it's going to cost you 
you know, twenty thousand dollars to make a record or, or whatever. Well, about an EP, probably you get twenty grand about right for EP mm-hmm. with with all top level studios, top level players, top level producer. Mm-hmm. But uh, then you you have to plan and be confident enough in what you're doing that you're going to recoup that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you've got you've got. My dad always said you got to spend money to make money, mm-hmm. and um, and it's true. I mean, and and so. You know, my, my, my thing with people when they don't want to spend is like, well, if you can't afford to do that, um, then what you need to do is, is put, put together one great song, mm-hmm. A-level, show people what you can do, and then shop it and find someone else that can pay the bill. I mean, if, if that's, although, although, although shopping and spec deals are, are not as popular as they once were, and there's a lot of fraud that happens with those, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, but I mean, it, you know, you can find your fans can can do it through Patreon or Kickstarter. You, you can yeah. take some, but you need to you need to show proof that the money will be well invested. Exactly, and it's interesting that sh- this lady would go and say to me, "Well, Darrell, you know, if I spend the twelve thousand dollars, I'm going to make it back. I don't have a family." So I'm like, "Well, duh, that's what I'm <laughs> teaching you yeah, that you yeah. that you don't think is useless." And she said it was tedious to her. So you well, so, it, it so, is, so but, you know. <laughs> So I'm like, so so I'm like, um, yeah. So you don't want to do the work I'm telling you to do, and that's the problem. But then, and that's 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 why working as a manager is something that's really hard because if you find someone that has talent, but then they don't want to do the work, yeah, you and can't help. Like, yeah, I can't. And so it's like I had to I have to tell this lady like, I can't help you. No, she yeah. paid me. She paid me for a month. She really paid me for four months. Because yeah. I work off when I work one on one like that, I work off for four months retaining minimum, right? Makes so, sense to me. So she paid, and I just said, you know what? Ethically, could I sit there and take her money? Yes. Yeah. Do I want to do that? No, because it's right. just, she's just gonna be she's just gonna be a headache for me. And it's like, she's not gonna get anywhere. That she's gonna blame. Like she she was upset. Oh, it's been three seconds, and I haven't seen any results. Yeah, well, have, yeah, doesn't work. You haven't done any work. <laughs> And then when I but then when I tell you that it's gonna cost you however much money it's gonna cost you to make to make these songs at a professional level of a of a because see the one thing about our industry that's objective is the technical side, the recording mm-hmm. side, the mixing yeah. side, the mastering side. Yeah. Right. Because there's an industry standard for that. So that's we right. can't you can't hold people to an objective standard. Yeah. Once as far as how it's perceived from the marketplace. That's all yeah. subjective. I agree. Right? Totally. Agree. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, from that perspective, there is a standard. So if you want your songs to be at a, a level where it can compete in the market. And that's that's a key word. Yeah. It had compete the product, the product. Word. See, all the stuff we're talking about, we talked about earlier about you know, make the money. That is assuming that your product is solid. Exactly. If your product isn't solid, then none of what Joey just shared, and I just talked about make will do will work for you. That's right. Because we said all that assuming you have a quality product. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, and, and you know, and, and there, and it comes a lot of it comes from places of, you know, you have several barriers to, to getting a quality product, and one of them is, is education, which we've talked about and said a lot about. But I mean. That's that's why I talk about this kind of stuff. It's always a thrill for me because I want people to understand going in, you know, the kind of time that it takes. I mean, you know, a lot of people, and, and I understand it because it comes a place of not knowing. But a lot of people say, okay, I've written a great song, and t- now I've done that today, and tomorrow I'll be a star. 
And people talk about overnights and stations. You know, they're, they're overnights and stations 20 years in the making. I mean, they, yeah. they are people that have gone out and worked hard. You didn't know their name, but that's because they were busy putting all the pieces together, but all the, putting all that together. And obviously, there are people that make it since 20 years. I'm just saying, you know, the, the, every, the, the true overnight sensations I can count on one hand. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it, it almost never happens. Well, um, it, and, and so yeah. it, it, you have to do the work. You have to do the work. And, and that's what, but if you, if you go in, and you, if, if you're not willing to do, and that's why um, in life, uh, almost everything is available, but it mm -hmm. has a price. Mm -hmm. And one of the prices to this is you got to work hard and you got to do things that maybe you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of being an adult. I mean, that's just part of being, yeah. you know, you, yeah. I do yeah. things all day long that I want to do. Do we want to we, we do? Look, we, if we will eat, we want to eat, you have to buy food. Food expensive. Yeah. You know, especially. You like it or not. Yeah, yeah. it's just part of how it is. Yeah. You know? you know what I mean? So, no, you're exactly right, man. I, I, I love this conversation. So, we're going to pivot a little bit. Get back to your story. So, um, like I said, you mentioned you were um, you obviously you were blind from birth, yeah. from birth, right? Or well, the brain tumor, no, from the brain. Yeah, tumor. so the, the the brain tumor uh, happened when I was around eighteen months old. It was removed when I was about two. Um, I don't remember seeing. It's possible that I did, um, but I don't. I don't have a memory of that. So. My suspicion is even if I could see it wasn't normal, but but my mother is the one who said, I don't think my child, he doesn't seem to be, um, you know, something wrong with his motor skills. There's, you know, he doesn't seem to be tracking me in the room with his eyes, stuff like that. Um, and she went to the doctor and, and they said, oh, you're okay, mother, go back home and take some cooking or something, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but indeed there was something wrong. They, what they eventually discovered, how they discovered it was, my dad had had my hand and he let go of my hand and I took like two steps, uh, you know, and fell down a flight of about 30 stairs. Mm. And uh, I didn't know there was, you know, I didn't, and, and interestingly, they, they were all carpeted stairs and it was a carpeted uh, stairwell. So there was, there was no <laughs> real sound, uh, you know, there was no real sound to clue you in, hey, this space in front of you is different. Um, and so, um, you know, they rushed me to the hospital because they were terrified that I was, you know, severely injured. Mm -hmm. And that's when they made the diagnosis, oh, there's a brain tumor. Um, mm -hmm. And so what was happening with that brain tumor, it wasn't technically, you know, cancerous, um, but what was the problem with it was it was, it was in a very delicate place in the brain and it was growing at such a fast exponential rate that it was literally sort of crushing the wiring of, of my endocrine system and my optic nerves and stuff like that, crushing them from the inside because it was expanding so fast. Wow. Um, wow. So they, the first the first doctor told my parents that I wasn't going to make it. They could do the surgery at the point. And my dad just said, well, you're not, you know, even if that's true, you're not doing the surgery. I'm going to find somebody who gives me a better <laughs> chance. Right. And uh, my parents were real big on advocating, you know, for me when I couldn't advocate for myself. Um, and so they found a doctor who, who did say, look, you know, this is a seven or eight hour surgery. It's very difficult. Um, if we come out in, in less time than that, you need to be prepared that it hasn't gone well. Uh, there's a good chance that if your son does make it, you know, he may not walk or talk. And um, so they said, you know, but, but the, the choice was uh, do the surgery and have a chance or not do the surgery and die. 
I mean, it, you know, really, really, from my perspective, there was there's no choice at all. I mean, you, you got to take the chance. You got to say, well, you know, a shot at life is better than not. So, um, and, and of course, I wasn't you know, able to make that choice for myself, but uh, my parents made, yeah, my parents made the right decision. And, um, and so um, the doctor came out in about three or four hours instead of the seven or eight. And he, he said, you know, I really feel like uh, it was a lot easier than I anticipated. And, you know, he, he was my doctor. I've had business with him, you know, several times when I was about five years old or four years old, somewhere in that range. And I, you know, I remember him saying, uh, and my parents have told me the story as well, but I remember him saying, uh, you know, I feel like um, a higher power took hold of my hands and a consumer. Mm. And, uh, you know, take it for what, for what it's worth. But it, it, it has always meant something to me mm. um, and to my family to feel like, uh, you know, there's, there's a, 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 an obligation, um, one that I, that I gladly accept to, to do something with, with the life that I've been raised. I mean, it, you know, I'm all about this idea of intention. And living a life of intention, a life that I value, a life that that you know accomplishes those things I value. One of the things I value is to help other people, um, and, and and you know when I do that, I feel happy, I feel successful. So you know that's that was the, the early beginning of my story. I was in ICU for over a month, um, had a bunch of seizures and stuff, and, and and some hard times, and I had a lot of hard times as a child. I mean, most of my early childhood. You know, there was no consideration of being in music business, even though, or, or being a musician, even though music was a very important part of my family's life. Uh, my dad was an amateur musician, my mom was an amateur musician, and, and uh, they both loved music a lot and meant a lot to them. Um, but, um, you know, my early life was really focused on survival. And, and, and that, was, that was true. A lot of illnesses until I was about 14 years old, and, and things got a little better uh, when I hit that sort of age. But before that, a lot of hospital stays, a lot of time in and out of you know, school because, uh, um, you know, I had to, I'd be well for three months and sick for two weeks, you know, well for six weeks and sick for a month, you know, these, and, and a lot of hospital visits and stuff like that. But, um, you know, um, I don't recommend that to anybody if you can avoid it, but uh, it has given me um, the ability most of the time, not all the time, but sadly I'm not perfect, but most of the time it's given me the ability to put things in perspective and to realize that uh, if it's not a brain tumor, then I probably shouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> I, definitely, <laughs> I, mean, I, I definitely understand, man. Yeah. You know, and, and again, I'm not trying to say that I'm perfect. I am far oh, nobody, from it. Nobody is. But, but, you know, and, and I, think, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting in the past 10 years that we as human beings and, and we as creatives and artists, you know, have started a real conversation about mental well-being um, that before was really taboo and, and people just didn't talk about it. And, um, and I really believe that being honestly who you are is so mission critical for your well-being physically, mentally, spiritually, and in, in your business, in your business life, in your artistic life, if that's part of your business. And, and so I really believe in talking about you know, the idea of, you know, people will, will say to me that I'm an inspiration to them. And I, I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And I know that people often uh, look at me and, and look at the positive attitude I have and use that as a source of, of inspiration and strength, which I greatly appreciate and value. And I, 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 I you know, I'm glad I'm able to provide that. 
But that being said, um, to, to say that I'm happy all the time, and, and honestly, I am mostly happy. I am mostly just a joyful person. You know, I, I, I am mostly, I just enjoy life so much. And I love, I love lots of simple things. And uh, so I, I love that. But I'm not happy all the time. And I think that it's perfectly normal, natural, healthy, and good for you to say, to be able to say, I'm not happy today, and here's why. I'm frustrated today, here's why. I'm angry today, and here's why. Because right. if I'm happy all the time, you should probably be worried. Because yeah, that, probably, yeah, that's just not, probably I'm going to commit some sort of super crime or something. That's, that, that's not uh, a, a, a natural experience for any Well, it's, it's just, you know, yeah. no, no, for, you know, my, <laughs> this is a philosophical point that I won't go down the full rabbit hole, but I can go to Plato or wherever you want to go. But the fact is, most states of being are not sustainable all the time. Uh, yeah. for, for good or ill. Uh, and so I like the idea of saying I am blind and the situation I find myself in is really annoying today because I would like to go do X, but I can't because I can't see. Yeah. Uh, that's okay to say that. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's okay to even be angry, like, gee, why am I having to put up with this nonsense? Yeah. But what's not okay is to live in that space. So there's yeah, the real critical, that's the critical difference. Yeah. So, you know, I think about my my heroes that give me inspiration. It's like Stephen Hawking and, and Helen Keller. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and I think about them and I, I think, man, you know, Helen Keller, and of course I can only, I only have my own experience to draw from. I mean, I can't, while I can empathize with the people, I can't truly understand their journey. Um, although I'm a very empathetic person, you think about Helen Keller, music is so important to me that I think about being deaf and blind as just a, just a unnatural, horrible thing. It's like, I can't imagine having, having you know, finding a way to be joyful in, in that circumstance. Um, the beautiful thing about the human spirit is, I'm sure that, that if I had to do that, I, I would find it because the human spirit is so adaptable and so resilient. But you think about, you think about Stephen Hawking, who is, you know, arguably one of the, you know, sort of the, our modern version of Einstein. And you know he he couldn't he could move his eyes, you know, and 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 you think about man how did he how did he find a way to be so so alive and vibrant and to contribute so much to science uh, with these obstacles? So you know I, I do appreciate being an inspiration and I, and I, I value that, but I think that part of being inspirational is being honest. And yeah. so <laughs> one of the things one of the things that I really want in part is not only the good stuff. But some of the struggles as well, because I think that that makes it more relatable. And the one thing you don't want is for people to say, well, gosh, you know, I'm a bad person because look at all the things Joey has to go through and he's happy. Why can't I be happy? You know, you don't, you don't want to get in that mental space. So that's right. why I like to talk about, that's why I like to talk about the struggles a little bit too. Even well, my, my, my focus is primarily on uh, overcoming and, and, you know, saying, hey, world, you know, get out of my way. I'm coming whether you like it or not. Um, you know, I, I, kicking down doors and, and crawling through windows. I'd rather, I do mainly focus on that, but there are other things that go with it. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that the, the the struggles of my early life, and again, as I got older, I had, I was 28, around 28 years old. I ended up in a wheelchair for six months, and uh, that was a real surprise. I didn't know that was, you know, uh, apparently it, it, it's not uncommon with people with my type of tumor to have that kind of uh, something called a vascular necrosis later in life, but I, I never knew that. None of my doctors ever told me that. I don't know if they didn't know. It's like a, a new 
thing we discovered where they thought this kids had enough hack or unless uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which one it was. Um, but that was very difficult. And then, you know, having the shoulder surgery um, uh, was very difficult. It was not as much fun as I'd hoped. And uh, it was terrifying to me because, uh, you know, I need this right arm to work. Uh, I play guitar and, and, and I, I need that. I need that hand. <laughs> you know, I, I need that hand. I need it to work. And I couldn't play guitar for about four months and I was driving me nuts. And, uh, you know, I was, it was just, it was just, it was crazy. But, um, you know, so those are tricky, but, I, but those experiences have given me a, a way uh, to prioritize things and to look at things. And so I'm all about using what you got. I'm all about using the gifts and, that you have. And I, I always try to let everything that I am and everything that encompasses my story, whether it's good or bad, I always try to let it work in my favor. So I, I say it as a joke, but I tell people that I can't see or smell because of the brain tumor, but it made me the perfect husband, which is why I was able to trick my wife into marriage. Because I told her that if she married me, <laughs> she would always look good and smell good no matter what happened. So mm. I say that that's silly and it's kind of tongue in cheek, but the fact is that is really at the heart of my philosophy. Like I try to let everything that happens to me, you know, make me a better person. Uh, I love and, and that. that. I, I love that, man. I mean, we, we have interesting kind of like, you know, we, we're connecting this way. But we have like, a, we have this bond. When you have people, you know, you know, your, your situation is much different than mine. I hear a lot of myself in you, how I yeah. approach things, man. Yeah. You know, it's interesting how all of us in the, within the special needs community, you know, we have different experience but in a way kind of the same, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, that's one of the things I think people forget, uh, and this is a whole different conversation, but when you talk right. about confirmation bias and echo chambers and, and social media is supposed to bring people together, but it tears people apart and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the, the real truth is that, yes, there are differences, uh, many differences between mm -hmm. people. But in reality, the things that unite us and make us the same are, are much more prevalent uh, and, and much, there's much more that makes us uh, similar um, and, and, and relatable then there are things that, that, that tear us apart. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we don't focus on those things. But at the end of the day, I mean, we all want to be loved. Uh, we all want to feel like we have a purpose. Uh, we all want to be accepted, uh, which is a different thing than love. I think that there's a few things. But, um, you know, so, I mean, it, it, it's true that, you you know, if you, if you look for it, you know, you can find common ground, I think, with almost anybody. There are, there are a few people that are exceptions. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine having common ground with Hitler or something like that. I mean, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I think I think it's fair to say that that's evil incarnate. I don't think there's a problem with that. But but yeah, but, but most of the time, because there's exceptions to almost everything. But most of the time, I think you can find common ground and and, and find beautiful things uh, and beautiful people that will inspire and educate and inform your life in, in really important ways. Um, and it's it, it is interesting. And you know, we talk about. One of the things I'm really interested in talking about right now, one of the things that I am real passionate about is the idea that blind is not a dirty word. Um, you know, um, I make jokes about being blind because it's honestly, some of, sometimes it's just funny. Uh, you know, I've had some funny experiences being blind. I've, I've, you know, uh, I've had some hard ones too, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of humorous things about it. And uh, so I, I really want to, I, I, I approve of people caring about my feelings so that i appreciate but i don't think that one should ever feel uh compelled 
to walk on eggshells and be afraid to you know have to like overanalyze every single thing they say. I'm a careful I'm a careful speaker. I'm a careful thinker, but you know. I don't want people to think, gosh, do I, do I say visually impaired? Do I say, what right. do I say, you know, what do I, what do I say? So don't I don't worry about it. So I don't fright because, you know, right. yeah, it's, I, I'm smart enough to know if you're being a jerk or not. I'll, yeah. I'll figure that out. And the guys in my band, they'll come in and say, they'll say, what's up? You know, you blind, blanky blank. And, and, and people are horrified. Whereas I'm just laughing my butt off. I just think it's hilarious. And, and, and sometimes, depending on my mood, I tell people, hey, they're just joking around. It's fine. Sometimes I don't let them, let them squirm a little bit, see what happens. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but in all seriousness, I mean, you know, I'm really, I really believe that I don't, I don't know how we can possibly come to a greater understanding of the needs of the disabled community uh, if we can't even have the conversation. Um, so, so anything that blocks conversation has to go in my mind. Yeah, we have to, we have to be able to talk about it. I think. Yeah. And what I realized too, you know, I have a cousin. You know, it's interesting. My mom had me. I have a twin sister. And so, but here's interesting about me. So I was born prematurely. And then I had CP. Well, the way it worked out was um, we, she, my sister actually stayed in the hospital seven weeks longer than I did. Hmm. About a year old, she's doing everything, quote, unquote, that a normal one-year-old would do. And my mom was starting to prop my back up with a pillow. So they kind of knew something was wrong. So they went to the right. doctor and they said, well, he has acute spastic diplegia, cerebral palsy. By the time he's three, he's going to walk. Of course, the doctors were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> At about five years old, um, I had, I was in a walker. Then I had tendon release surgery in 1990. And then yeah. in 1992, I've been on crutches. I'm, I've started using crutches and I've been using crutches ever since. You know, yeah. the thing, and the thing with cerebral palsy is, you can only get it from birth. It's no other way. Like it's, right. it's, also, it's caused from a lack of oxygen in the womb, right? And so for me, um, you know, it's one of those things where look, it's people always people always like, man, I'm so sorry. I said, like, yeah, look, I live a I live a pretty good life, man. It's not always easy, but this isn't going anywhere. So I've just learned to embrace embrace it wholeheartedly because it's the only way that I could even live a decent, happy life. Because if I was always mad all the time, like that's just a really crappy way to live. It is. And, you know, it's real destructive. I mean, anger, there are times that one has to take a defensive position. There are times that you have to stand up and be counted and say, no, this is wrong. You can't do this. But most of the time, um, that sort of militant, you know, anger is not going to help your case. Right. And if, if you, you know, if we take out, the ethics of it, which I think ethically, um, you know, you should you should not be angry all the time. I think for your own health, you shouldn't be angry all the time. However, if we throw those away mm -hmm. and just say, from a strategic standpoint, what's going to get me the things that I need? Anger isn't it, <laughs> and you know, just from a just from a sense of ration and reason and logic, you have to say that. So I'm I really am disappointed. Um, when I see uh, on on Twitter or whatever, you know, other other disabled people that I support in many ways, but the conversation is all accusatory and angry. There's no, you know, there's no. We talked about education. I mean, it's 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 all about education. It's all about education. You really have to. The, the fact of the matter is, most people, not all, because there are jerks everywhere, but most people, if they but knew what it was you needed, would be glad to assist and would feel good about doing so. 
And, and there's a very careful balance that you, you have to have. And I, I say disabled because I say if we don't, if we don't say disabled, how can we talk about the fact that you know, we need special assistance to accomplish things that most people take for granted. So I, I, I use that word consciously. Some people don't like it, and that's cool. I use, I use it all the time because it's a reality. It's like, it, it is. You know, it's, that's, my, people got to realize it's yeah, not to so off. Yeah. No, it's okay, but you got, you got to, you, know, you just got to be able to talk about it. So, I mean, you know, I, how, how can you understand what my needs are if I can't talk to you about it? Um, and, and so I'm really into having that conversation. Um, and, and, you know, my specialty is, I mean, there's so much, there's so many different types of disability out there. Uh, my specialty is, is helping the blind. I mean, that's what I know. Uh, that's certainly not the only thing out there, but I am a huge proponent of trying to advance uh, adopting technology, in particular AI, um, to help people that are blind to have a more level playing field when it comes to interfacing with modern technology, in particular music technology. Um, right. So, so you know, so so I, but I just I just know that you know, I'm a small business owner, and a lot of people don't understand the ADA. A lot of people right. are, afraid, are afraid of the ADA. Um, I was once, I won't say the organization, but I was once publicly shamed by someone who was mad at me because they didn't want to do something to give me access. And I said, well, you kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, you kind of have to, and it's real easy. Um, and, and so I did that, and they, they sort of told, they sort of said to the room at large, um, you know, the only reason I'm accommodating Joey today is because of the ADA. And <laughs> to be frank, that made me angry. Uh, I thought that was ludicrous um, because yeah. nobody would have even known that there was a conversation had that person not brought it up. Exactly. And this was a well, a well publicized music uh, uh, organization. Um, okay. and, and it made me mad. But to, 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 to get what I needed, be angry wasn't even though I was justified in being angry, um, it, it wasn't going to give me what I needed, and, and so it was better for me to keep my mouth shut in that particular instance. Sometimes you you can't keep your mouth shut; you have to say. And I did, like I said, they weren't going to give me access, and I was like, "Well, you you have to because that's the law, and what I'm asking for, and, and what I'm asking for is reasonable. I'm not asking for you to." You know, the, the sort of the benchmark is, is it an unreasonable burden mm -hmm. to accommodate? So in other words, would I have to go out of business to accommodate? And if, if the answer to that is no, then, you know, you have to. So, so I'm really into starting that conversation with music manufacturers, mm -hmm. talking about, I'm a small business owner. I understand how to watch your bottom line. Uh, so, so I understand that, you know, you feel like maybe you can't afford to make these accommodations. But the, the, the solution to that is, number one, I'm not going to approach you and complain about a problem if I don't have an idea of the solution. Right. That's step number one. So I'm, going to, I'm not going to just bring you the problem. I'm going to bring you the solution. Mm -hmm. Number two, I think we can all agree ethically it's the right thing to do to make things accessible. Number right. three, from a branding standpoint, from a purely, from a purely you, know, uh, uh, you know, monetary standpoint, companies that do things that are right and morally correct, people feel good about spending their money. You're actually going to win a huge, you're going to have a huge windfall with public relations. And then number four, 
I'm gonna, I'm not interested. You know, it takes about two years to bring a new product to market. And immediately you're, you're, by the time that happens, you're looking at updates, you're looking at, uh, you know, modifications, you're looking at improvements. I'm, I don't want you to retrofit your product that's only gonna be around for a couple of years. Right. I want you to build accessibility and thought about accessibility into the ground up of the new product. So let's don't talk about what's happening today. Let's talk about what's happening in five years. Exactly. And, you know, these, these are the kind of reasonable positions you can take and you can let people understand that while you do, while you do want and deserve accessibility in whatever form that is, whether it's a wheelchair ramp or whether it's, you know, uh, AI for the blind or whatever, that you also understand that there are other people besides you that have needs. Yeah. <laughs> you're willing, you're willing to have, you're willing to meet people in the middle and, and create common ground. That's really important. So, you know, I, I, I sound like I'm preaching a little bit, but the fact is, no, really, not, it, man, it, I want people yeah, to hear this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's important. And, and the fact is I'm talking about disability because that's a large part of my life, but it, this, this concept is true no matter what you're doing in your life. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it goes back to kind of really to, to put a nice book into what we've talked about so far is, you, you, you know, you have to advocate for yourself, but you have to be able to be honest with people about what you need or they can't provide it to you. Right. You have to believe in yourself and have value in yourself. And life, and, and my life is to a great deal music. So life in, in, in the field that I've chosen is all about relationships. Yep. And, and you have to, if someone in the relationship you're trying to establish, whether it's a husband wife thing or, 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 or whether it's a friend thing or whether it's a business relationship or whether it's an advocate relationship with disabilities or, or whether it's a relationship with your doctor, um, if you don't have the relationship that feeds your needs, move on until you find one that does. Right. And I, I have done that, you know, by and large, I think doctors are great. Uh, as, as you told in your story, they made a mistake and they're human. It happens. But the fact is, if you have a doctor that's not meeting your needs, uh, then it's time to go search. And I, I'm real big on, you know, communicating your needs. And then if, if those needs aren't met uh, and you communicate them clearly, articulately and, and you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a compassionate way, uh, in an understanding way. Then, then you move on, uh, and, and you know. So, so everything is about relationships and 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 honesty, and that's really that's really what kind of everything we've said today boils down to, really. No oh, man, I, I love it, man. And we look, we could be here for hours talking <laughs> about this stuff. <laughs> you know, I know, I'm a chatterbox, and I want I want to respect your time, man. So I want to I want to I just want to cover a couple more things, and I'm Absolutely. definitely. Gonna, I, I definitely want to. I'm going to bring you. I'm definitely going to. We're definitely going to have a part two where I can really dive deeper into. There's other things I want to cover, but we like said we'd be here for like four hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. so we're definitely going to have to have a part two uh, sometime soon. I'm going to come. We're really going to really dive a little bit much deeper into uh, your uh, other parts of your story. Yeah. But um, you know, definitely like I said. So you are you. You're an educator. You taught at several universities. You know, around where you're from, where, was it Mercer University? Yeah, Mercer University, and uh, uh, oh, I went to mess this up, Middle Georgia. Middle yeah. Georgia. State. I'm used to calling it Macon State because it wasn't okay. that forever. But okay. It's not. It's not now. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 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 And so, and you're a mentor of the Florida of the. I'm sorry of the uh, recording 
Connection School in LA? Yeah, absolutely. They, they, do, they do really, they're really neat. What they do is they, they um, sort of connect students with internships. Uh, and then you also give them an hour a week, uh, basically lesson, so a private lesson. And then they, then they work in, in the studio and they, and they, they learn from doing. Uh, but then they also have a, a lesson. And what's interesting is they provide, they provide the curriculum so that everybody has the same curriculum. Um, but it's it's uh, it's essentially you know what I what I teach anyway. Obviously, in any field, you're going to have opinions that are that differ from from one person to the next. Things that resonate with certain people, things that don't resonate with certain people. So you know you have the freedom to say, um, you know, read chapter one this week, and we'll discuss it. And I'm going to tell you um, I'm going to tell you the things that I think are important for this chapter, and I'm going to add to it. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe skip something I don't think is really important. We, we may not cover that. You can read it and, and judge it for yourself. So I really like what they do. And they do it for, uh, they have that model uh, for music, for film, for uh, broadcast, and for culinary. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty neat, uh, pretty neat stuff. Oh, nice, man. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome stuff, man. I really, listen, I'm really big on, on mentorship. I'm a, I'm a university, I'm a full scale university grad. Um, I'm sure you're familiar oh, yeah. with Full Sail. Um, actually, I actually live 10 minutes from campus. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you something. This is this is years ago. I, I graduated from high school when I was about 14. So um, right. I, I was, I was uh, I can't remember. I think I was about 14 when I when I met this, but we were on vacation in Orlando because my grandfather lived there uh, okay. for a long time. Yeah. He, what, he what, was, part of, he was, what part of Orlando, if you remember? Well, I, he was in the main, I guess, is it, is it Orange? What I'm trying to say. Orange, Orange County? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, grew right? Orange, I grew up in Orange. I grew up in Orange County. I live in okay. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So he worked. He worked in the in the. I guess it was the eighties. He had a job in IT at Disneyland or Disney World. Oh. I forget which one's. The it's Disney one? World. Disney World. Disney World. Disney World. Okay, yeah. Disneyland's in LA. All right. Yeah. So so anyway, he had he was IT over there. So we would come to visit him every summer, and um, we were staying in a hotel and uh, having sort of a vacation slash visiting grandpa, and. Um, and there was a guy who was, I, I can't remember if he was, if, I think he worked part-time as a um, as a bell captain. And he saw that I had some really primitive, he, well, he saw that I was a kid and I had a, I had a, um, I think I may have had my high school ring on my finger at the time. And he was like, how old are you? I was like, oh, I'm 14, 15, something like that. I can't remember what, I can't remember what, what year it was. But anyway, and he said, uh, well, I see your interest in, Recording. I said, oh yeah, it's, you know, I'm blind and I love it. And he said, man, you should come to Full Sail. And it was just getting started back then. And um, I ended up not doing that because, not because I didn't want to, but because at that time I was so young, um, I did not feel comfortable not being around my parents and their support, the support network I had. Um, okay, yeah, as, as, yeah. as an adult, you know, as an adult, it's a different situation. But when you're 15 years old, um, it just really, it just, it, it was, it was, it would have been great, but it just wasn't the right thing. And we, we had, we were moving, we either had moved or were getting ready to move to Georgia uh, right around that time. So it never worked out, but I've always loved that, that school and always had a lot of respect for it. And a friend of my dad's, uh, who named, his name eludes me at the moment, was one of the early investors or, or creators of, of the university that he met during the, my dad was a part of the Carter administration. And right. so, uh, he 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 uh, he was he was so you know, I think the guy I think the guy's name John Phelps is 
and some yeah, another, another guy. Those are the guys that were the two original guys that started the school. Yeah, the school they they originated in Dayton, Ohio. In 19, oh, interesting. In 1977, and they moved to Altamont Springs in 89. And then, of course, now they own every they own the whole the whole strip down here. They own everything. But, <laughs> but um, no, I can definitely um, your story, man. I would love. I could I could definitely set you up as a speaker sometime if you ever want to come. I want to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I could definitely help set that up. I have some good relationships over there. <laughs> well, it's it's a fantastic. It's a great mean, it's a great school, man. I really and I, and I tell a lot of the kids that I mentor. I say, look. Your degree means nothing in the field. You yeah. don't care. You got to be able to deliver and say what you can do, what you say you know how to do. Yeah. A lot of people will talk crap about it for a lot of, oh, well, you shouldn't go to full study university. Well, you can say something about any college. It's what are sure. you going to, what are you going to do when you get out? Because in the, when you get into the field, nobody cares what your degree is or what. Yeah. They don't, people don't care. You know what really, I mean? really, really the, the, what you need is the knowledge, number one. Number two, the degree becomes valuable only when you're in a collegiate, you know, right. higher education kind of system, and, and they want those things. Uh, they don't really need them. I mean, yeah. they, but they want them. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. I, know, I know people with doctorates that have very little talent, to be frank. Yeah. Uh, I, I know people with no formal education who are absolutely brilliant. Exactly. So, so the education is not what it is. The school doesn't make you intelligent or not. The intelligence is either you are or you're not, right. and a lot of that comes from how much effort you put into what you do. Exactly. But but the school, what the schools do is they give you the chance to experience and and have mm. the experience. Yes. I, and and so is. so you you have to. It's just like anything else. People people. One one person said to me, "Well, if my son studies with you, this is a, this is a private uh, lesson. Uh, what kind of job can you guarantee him?" I said, "I can't guarantee him anything." Right. That's up to him. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I can tell you is that he will he will leave prepared. Yeah. Prepared if he does the work. Yeah. But uh, if he if he doesn't do the work or he doesn't pay attention and work hard at what he's trying to do, then then no nothing I can do will will make him successful or not. That's up to you. It's just you know? interesting that people think that it's like people. Because you, you don't do that in any other walk. People just say, oh, because I paid you some money, you should guarantee, like, you can't guarantee, ethically, we can't do that because we don't know what you, you know. Right, well, and, and, this and is, the thing is, I don't even know what you know until we get in the middle of it. Exactly. I, I, don't, I don't even know what your aptitude is. Yeah, um, so you won't. It, it, you know, so how can you, and, and honestly, though, you know, there are no guarantees. No. So if you're going around <laughs> looking for one, you're gonna be highly disappointed. And it, it's so, <laughs> some people hire when they when they hire me and they talk. It's like we were talking about earlier. Like, see, I, they want guarantee. There are none. I mean, and then there are none in life. But then when you come into an industry where, let's be real, you can work hard, but you got to get a little lucky in our industry too. Things you have do. to things have to fall your way. I call it serendipity because there's certain sure. things certain things you can't plan for. You can work your ass off and you can do all those things, and that's great. But so, but you have to be a little bit lucky. So, because there's some things you just can't plan for. Luck is a part of success. Whether people want to, people want to, people want to realize it or not, it's true. Yeah, yes, work hard, have a plan, but yeah. you have to get a little lucky. And you know, there's two things I would add to that. And one of them is there's a wonderful book. It, it sounds weird to say this. It it is a wonderful book, but it's not well written. <laughs> but okay. it's a wonderful book. It's called The Kid Stays in the Picture by Rob. Okay. And he was the producer of The Godfather and Love Story and was head of Paramount Pictures for a decade. And he started off as an actor. And in his break came because he was portraying, I, I forget the exact 
details here, that he was portraying, um, the film was made about a, a lady's husband. And she had signed the rights to the film company to make this picture about her husband. And he was cast to play her husband. And the, and the, the director of the film didn't like what he was doing and said, you're fired. And the lady said, no, he's not. The kid stays in the picture. And she gave him that break. And from that one break, that one opportunity, he was able to then work hard and become head of Paramount Pictures and produce two of the greatest films of, our, of, of any generation. You know, Godfather and Love Story are classics. Right. And he has a wonderful quote. I recommend people go out and read it. It's called The Kid Stays in the Picture. Rob Evans is the guy's name. Um, and, 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 you know, he, he's not a brilliant writer. He's not, it's not full of prose and all this stuff, but the story is very compelling. And he has this wonderful quote that I like to shove down my students' throats. And that is, success happens when opportunity and preparation meet. Meet, right. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, and the other thing I will say is that you do have to get lucky, but you can rig the deck in your favor yes. by being where opportunities are. Yes. So the most, <laughs> the most important thing you can do to try and grab a piece of that luck is to be where things are happening and just show up and show up and network and show up and network because mm -hmm. it, it, you know it's 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 like um it's like uh, I, I was listening to I, I think it was Joel Osteen somebody said um he he said that if you think if you think that if, if being married is important to you and you want that relationship that's a big part of what what defines your goals in life mm -hmm. and you think you can sit at home and pray and miss america's gonna knock on your door and sweep you off your feet and just show up in, in your delusion yeah. i'm paraphrasing i'm no. paraphrasing he wasn't he wasn't quite that crass but it's true but he, just, but it is he true. basically said you have to you have to get out and put yourself in places to be blessed exactly. uh, which is the same way of saying what i've said you know, oh, it, it's, it's, it's so it's, true it's so yeah. true you have you have you have to you have to especially in our industry where it's all about people I think it's all about people. Oh, man. And so you have to love people. It's very hard to be successful in, our, in the entertainment space and you don't like people. Yeah. And it's really hard to do. I don't think, again, I think it's impossible, but but if, you, if you're not a much of a people person, because you have to do a lot of networking, you have to do a lot of things to create yeah, opportunities you, for yourself. Yeah. There's a great saying that people say, I think you can use your thank it for your make. I mean, it's like, if you're not a people person, just pretend it's all. Because... It's most most of the time, and again, as I've said a thousand times today, because I like to clarify, uh, there are exceptions to every rule. But but often it is the case that someone that's not a quote unquote you know, people person really is because they haven't learned to love themselves yet, mm -hmm. and they are not good at interacting because they don't feel comfortable in their own right. skin. Right. So that's a big part of if you're not a people person, you know maybe maybe there's a, maybe there's another reason for that. But take a hard look at yourself and say. Am I not a people person because I'm I'm not comfortable in me and I'm afraid of rejection? Is that is that why? And if, if so, then give yourself some grace and and start to get to know who you are. Uh, and that kind of goes back to where we started our conversation about you know having who are you as an artist? Exactly. exactly. That really has a lot to do with who you are as a person. Yeah. Exactly, man. And Joe, look, I think that's a great way to end this combo for this time. And then we're going to come back Shoot, yeah. and we're going to talk some more and we're going to get more deep because like I said, we, we'd be here forever. But guys, <laughs> uh, where can the people find you, man? The the easiest place to sort of catch all is joeystucky.com, J-O-E-Y, 
S-T-U-C-K-E-Y.com. Uh, my studio website is called Shadow Sound Studio, all one word. That's a .com as well. Uh, I do love to interact on social media, and I, I'm pretty engaged there. Uh, my, my Instagram and Twitter are both at the letter J Stucky Music, so at J Stucky Music. Uh, Facebook.com slash Joey Stucky. I have a YouTube channel that's Joey Stucky. And then uh, my new, uh, my brand new sort of infant uh, presence on TikTok is uh, simply at Joey Stucky. So I do encourage you to visit TikTok because uh, besides the obligatory cat video, which is definitely there, uh, there's also uh, the giant cash dollar bill trick. Uh, that's the one that's trending and has about 26,000 views. It's the Johnny Cash dollar bill trick, something you should investigate if you've got 24 seconds. And I also have a wonderful video that cracks me up, which is we were playing on a little small stage in, in I, think, I think it was North Carolina or South Carolina. South. We, were, we were one of the Carolinas. And we were playing on a really small stage. And um, it, it was, they paid us really well, but it was a really small stage. And uh, my drummer, it was so tight that the drummer had to get on a stool and climb over his drum kit to get back in behind the drum kit so he could play. And I've got a video of that, which I think is hilarious. Um, so, I mean, again, you know, it's my twisted sense of humor, but, um, you know, something, something to check out. If, if you got a little time, uh, it doesn't offend me if you use it during your bathroom breaks. That's cool. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever you got to do. But, uh, yeah, if you want to be mildly entertained, I definitely encourage you to check that out. Cool guys, like I said, guys, and that, this is this has been another great episode of the Encouragers by our podcast. And this is your host, Darrell Period. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace.